Well, good morning. Welcome. Glad to see you. Those of you who are here with us in Fellowship Hall and those of you who are watching over in the sanctuary this morning, it is good to be together today. I'm really excited to be together with you as families all together in this place. I'm really excited also to be here on a day when we are putting Bibles into the hands of our third graders. I remember receiving my third grade Bible. I still have it. It's still on my shelf. And uh, over the years, I've gotten other Bibles that I've used and continue to use to this day, but I'm always grateful for the church and for the family of God's people who gathered together that day and placed that word into my hands. It's the reason that I'm here with you today, is because of that first congregation, that first body of Christ that I was a part of, putting God's word into my hands. You know, something happened over the years. I would read my Bible regularly at different times and through different stages of my life, and of course for different reasons as I was going through different places in my life. But something happened one day in particular. I remember it crystal clear. It was a Christmas Eve worship service, and I was leading and preaching that Christmas Eve worship service. And as I was up speaking and sharing, I opened up the Bible to to read the Gospel of Luke, the, the account of the birth of Jesus, and something happened. Somebody apparently had gotten to my Bible and had shrunk all of the words. <laughs> I looked down, I squinted, I stretched my arm out as far as I could. It didn't seem to matter. My eyes were not seeing clearly what were the words on the page, and that's when I got these. <laughs> Reading glasses, a pair of lenses to help me open up God's word and other words and be able to read them clearly. Corrective lenses, sometimes we need them. Sometimes they're essential, and there's all kinds of different lenses that we use to help us, some to help us see and read things clearly, some to help us see things that are distant and bring them close, some that help us see things that are small and magnify them so that we are able to see them, all sorts of lenses that help us view the world, life. And together this morning, we're starting on a journey. A journey throughout the month of October, a journey that we're entitled, A View From Here. The View From Here. And what we're going to look at during the course of this time is we're going to look at some particular ways that there are different lenses that help us to see life as followers of Jesus. They help us to see Jesus himself. They help us to see God's word. They help us to see God's mission. They help us, help us to see our place and our calling in this world. All particular ways that we view these things through the lens and lenses of Lutheranism. Now, for some of you, you might think to yourself, well, you know what? I was born, I was raised in the Lutheran church. I, I know a lot about these lenses. I've heard about these lenses. Others of you might go, I've never been in a Lutheran church. This is the first one that I've been in. I had no idea what Lutheran meant. I figured that maybe there was some guy named Luther who showed up and built this church at some time, and so that's why his name wound up in the, in the title. Well, I'm here to tell you <laughs> there was a man named Martin Luther that kind of got this whole thing started for us as Protestants. And part of what it is that he contributed to all of this is some particular ways of being able to see our faith, to see Jesus, to understand his word, to understand our place in this world and our mission. And those lenses still matter today. Now, there are plenty of things about being Lutheran that 
ultimately are just preferences. They're just things that some people seem to appreciate and really adore. They're things that other people will be perfectly happy to let go to the side and don't really care that much about. That's really okay. I'm okay with those periphery things being things that people like to hold on to or others prefer to let go of. But these things that we're going to talk about over the next five weeks are not things of of unimportance. They are lenses that help us understand the gospel, that help us to understand Jesus, that help us to clearly see what it is that God wants from us, how he sees us, and how we see him. And that's why we're stepping into this sermon series during the month of October. And we're starting off with a particular lens, a first lens that is called the lens of law and gospel. Law and gospel. Now, some of you may have heard that before, and you go, oh, law and gospel. Well, what does law and gospel mean, Pastor Darren? Well, doesn't it just mean like the Old Testament and the New Testament? No. No, actually, it doesn't just mean the Old Testament and the New Testament. In fact, law and gospel show up on every page of the Scriptures. Sometimes we just don't know how to see it or perceive it or understand it. And so I want to help you understand some ways today in which not only we can use this beautiful way of seeing Scripture to help us as followers of Jesus, to help us to further understand his word as we read it and as we study it, but also to help us see the world around us and bring the hope of Jesus to a world that desperately needs it just as much as we do. Law and gospel, I would say these are kind of like the binoculars of the lenses. Anybody have a pair of binoculars like these? I use them when I go to see the gophers or when I go to see the Vikings or the Twins or any other sporting event. Enjoy them to be able to look off into the distance and and get a clear view of what's happening on the field. Now, the unique thing about binoculars is that they allow you to still see things with some depth to them. If you only look through one lens, everything becomes kind of flat. But if you have binoculars, you get to use both of your eyes to look at things, and it allows you to get clarity and depth. And that's part of what the law and gospel lens does for us. It helps us to have clarity and depth as we look into God's word. Law and gospel. Now, What is the law? What are we talking about when we're talking about the law? Well, the law is two ways in which God speaks to us. God's law speaks to us in two particular ways. The first way is like a curb. It's a curb. If you know what a curb is on the side of the roads, it helps keep you from going off into the ditches. Well, the first use of God's law is to keep humanity from going off into the ditches. Those are the things that God tells us in something like the Ten Commandments. Things to do and things not to do. And that first purpose and use of God's law as it comes to us through the pages of the Scripture is to curb sin in the world. Sin is missing the target. Sin is when we drive off into a ditch. And when you drive off into a ditch and get off the road that God had intended for humanity, you get in accidents, you cause damage to yourself and to others. It destroys lives, it destroys property, it destroys all sorts of things when we get outside of the curbs that God has put in place through his law. 
an important purpose for the law, to keep order in the world so that the world doesn't evolve into chaos. That's what we call the first use of the law as it comes to us in Scripture. But there's also a second use of the law, and this is the one that I want to focus on today most importantly, because this is the one that we sometimes get confused about in the way that it is meant to work in our lives. When we read God's word and it speaks to us in God's law. And that is as a mirror. God's law and its second use for us is to be a mirror to us. It's something we hold up in front of ourselves to look at ourselves and see ourselves the way we truly are. You see, sin isn't just something out there that those other people do. The law is to speak to you and to me to remind us that you and I are sinners. That you and I are broken. That you and I fail to live up to the perfect standard that God has established. So it's a mirror to show us what it is that is true about ourselves. That we fall short. That we fail. That we don't measure up. So if that's the law, then what is the gospel? (laughs) Well, the gospel is the good news. And the good news is this. God has a promise for you. A promise to save you and rescue you from your sin. A promise that he will not leave you to yourself. Instead, he has sent himself through his son Jesus to be in this world. To rescue you and me from our sin, to pay the price for our sin, to do everything that we are incapable of doing ourselves. That which we can't do, God has done. That's the gospel. Now we'll say more about that as I go on here. But how do the two of these work together? What's the best way of understanding how law and gospel are meant to work together for us? Well, the simplest way that I could describe it is this. The law is the diagnosis of your condition. And the gospel is the cure. My wife and I have recently been going through a little bit of a medical challenge. My wife was having some pain in one of her knees. And as a result, she went into the doctor to have them examine, figure out, try and find out what was going on. And that first diagnosis that they gave was that, well, got arthritis. Not something you want to hear for people who are young in age. (laughs) But that was the diagnosis. And the problem with the diagnosis of arthritis is there is no cure. There's really nothing to be done. Just... Deal with the pain as long as you can. We can try and do some things to maybe lessen the pain a bit, but eventually it's just going to keep getting worse and worse until we're going to have to replace your knee. Well, not wanting to hear that as a first opinion, we went and got a second opinion. And in that second opinion, we discovered that that wasn't actually what was going on. My wife had something called a detached meniscus. Something that could be treated, something that could, with surgery, be fixed and repaired and prevent an onset of arthritis and the need for a knee replacement. 
Ah, a proper diagnosis is really important, isn't it? Without the proper diagnosis, you can't apply the right treatment. And when it comes to law and gospel, unless we properly understand the law, we will misdiagnose each other and ourselves. And as a result, we will either miss the cure entirely or we will mistreat. So these two have to go hand in hand, law and gospel. Now you might be asking, well, pastor, is this, is this like law gospel thing actually in the Bible? I mean, does it talk about it in the Bible? The answer is yes. You have to look for it a little bit because there are terms that show up a little bit differently. Sometimes it's, it's called it's called law and promise. In other places, it's described as the letter and the spirit. And when we see these different places, in particular, it shows up as a description in the writings of the Apostle Paul. So I want to share with you a couple of passages that the Apostle Paul had to share with us as he described his relationship between understanding the law and the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 3 Verse 6, this is what he says. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Do you hear what he says there? For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, when you hear that letter and Spirit and death and life, you hear what is at stake here. Properly recognizing that when we see the law in Scripture, it starts to do its work in us. And that work is a work of convicting us, and that work is showing a mirror to us, of our real condition before God, and I have news for you, our condition is not good. The law tells us clearly what our condition is. We are broken sinners. Paul goes on and says in his letter to the church at Galatia, where he talks perhaps more about law and gospel than any other singular book, this in Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, listen along. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Paul gets it. Paul understands how important it is that we recognize what the law is there to do and what it cannot do. Now, you might be saying to yourself, okay, what? I hear you talking about law and gospel, but can I hear what it actually sounds like? Can you give me an example, Pastor, of what, what this really is, this law and this gospel and how they are different from one another and how they come to us differently in Scripture? Well, listen to this and let me share it with you this way. If you make anything a higher priority than God in your life, you are an idolater. 
If you look at someone other than your spouse with lust in your heart, you are an adulterer. If you harbor anger or hate toward another person, you are a murderer. If you speak falsely about someone or pass on information that is untrue, you are a liar. If you see your neighbor in need and you ignore them, then the love of God is not in you and you have no part in the kingdom of God. If you don't provide for your own family, you are worse than an unbeliever. God says do and you don't. God says don't and you do. You are a sinner and you have fallen short of the glory of God and the penalty for your sin is death and eternal separation from God. Everything I've just shared with you comes from Scripture. Old Testament and New Testament. Whether it's the law of Moses, or described by the prophets, or spoken by Jesus himself, or by one of the apostles, all of it is clear. You are a sinner, and there is nothing you can do to fix yourself. No matter how hard you try, you will fail. And it is futile to think that you can somehow measure up to God's expectation and standard. That's the law. And if I didn't mention the particular thing that stings in your heart, just hang around long enough and we'll get there. Because as a wise pastoral mentor of mine once said, you may not get your sin picked on every Sunday when you show up, but hang around long enough because everybody's ox is going to get gored eventually. Because that's what God's law is. It's a mirror. And it starts with you. Not with your neighbor. Not with those people out there. With you. You in particular. That's God's law. Want to hear the gospel? Jesus did not come to condemn you, but to rescue you. While you were in the depth of your sin and may still be in it now, Christ died for you. You didn't choose God, but God chose you to have life. He loved you. He purchased you. He brought you out of darkness into his glorious light. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who have put their faith in Jesus. None. Nothing can touch you. Because Jesus has claimed your life. 
And in the words of the Apostle Paul, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. That's the gospel, friends. So why does it matter that we understand this distinction? Because the world, including you and me, is extremely good at diagnosing everybody else and misdiagnosing everybody else. And the only cure that is being offered is just figure it out. Just do better. Just try harder. Just agree with me. Because clearly you are wrong and I am right. So with that in mind, what do you think the world needs to hear more of right now? More of the law or more of the gospel? It needs both. But what we are seeing in the world right now, in our neighborhoods and around the world, in our newspapers, every place that we look, we see a distortion, a misdiagnosis, everybody lying on everybody else and lawyering up in the process. It's destroying us. And what we are called to do is to recognize what the law is and what the law does and then bring the cure. When we are diagnosed in our brokenness, we need a cure. We need a savior. We don't need self-help. We don't need do-betterism. We don't need self-righteousness. We need God's righteousness that you cannot get apart from faith and trust in Jesus. It's the only work that you need to do. Jesus was asked, what must we do? <laughs> and he said, the work of God for you is to believe in the one that God sent. There it is. That's your work. Believe. Believe and trust in Jesus. Faith in Jesus alone. In God's grace alone. Coming to us from God's word alone. This is what we need to hear. This is what we need to study together and continue to grow in as God's people. I want to conclude today before I pray by just inviting you. If you want to learn some more, if you want to dive in a little deeper with me, you want to get a little closer look, come join me a week from this coming Tuesday, starting on the 12th. 6.30 p.m. You don't need to register. You just need to show up. If you want to do a little reading ahead of time, pick up a small catechism that you can get online. Go ahead and read it. Just come prepared to learn more about the richness of what these lenses can bring into our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have spoken to us clearly through your word, that you have announced to us 
our brokenness, and you have made it clear in your word, your goodness, and how we do not measure up. But then, Lord, you have provided for us the one and only thing that we need, which is your son, Jesus Christ, and to put our trust and faith in him. Help us today, Jesus, to trust and put our faith in you alone. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen.